All right, welcome back to our Sunday seminars. Uh, today the table is turned and I'm sitting here with Morgan as he's just led us through our first week of Deuteronomy, um, a book that uh, probably wouldn't come across as your first one to really dig into or uh, really um, understand, but uh, what Morgan did today was set it up really well with um, a lot of background information. He looked at a lot of context and um, thought he did a really good job of just setting the picture of what this means for the scope of uh, Christianity today and uh, for what it meant for those Jews um, in the early uh, scripture. Um, so as, I, as you were talking, Morgan, through uh, this first piece of it, looking at the context, looking at um, even going back to Genesis and starting with the whole creation, uh, a lot of the uh, discussion in discipleship and mission um, kind of goes this route as well, where you have to set the framework of why are we talking about the gospel? Why do we talk about Jesus? Um, how did we even get here to this point? And I thought you did a really good job of um, setting up uh, just what does it mean for uh, believers to have faith? What do we have faith in? Why do we have the law? Or uh, what did Jesus do to fulfill the law? Why was it fulfilled? And uh, so I want to just turn it over to you. What about creation and just that whole um, uh, discussion from Genesis 2 up to Deuteronomy? Um, what does that mean for us today, and how does this play into our faith? Yeah, man, so I think um, one of the big questions I always ask when I come to any book of the Bible is, uh, what unique contribution does this book of the Bible make? You know, why, why did God put, place this particular book in the Bible? And uh, when I think of Deuteronomy, what I think of is um, it's, the, it's the clearest template we have for understanding this idea of covenant. And uh, the reason that's so important is, you know, as, as Christians, as believers, as those who uh, have put our faith in Jesus— the New Testament actually describes our relationship to God in terms of covenant. And so when we have a whole book of the Bible that's about that, um, it is going to help us understand both uh, what, how God enters into relationship with people in general, but more specifically, uh, how he enters into relationship with us. But then what we have to do is we have to do the hard work of understanding, you know, if, if we're um, in a covenant relationship with God that's maybe different, or uh, unique from the relationship that Israel had to God. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about particular individuals, but I'm talking about the nation of Israel. So if, if my relationship to God is based on one covenant and the nation of Israel had another covenant, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about, then how could I read Deuteronomy as Christian scripture? How could I actually read this book and find any benefit from it whatsoever? What, what would it do uh, for me to, to, to invest in this book? And I think to answer that question, you do have to start all the way back uh, from Genesis, and you have to kind of work back towards Deuteronomy. And so uh, we talk about God, how God made the world, and then he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he had this relationship with them that was a covenant relationship. Uh, they had this opportunity based—now, it was a works-based opportunity. It was based on their obedience or disobedience, but they had the opportunity to either— uh, obey God and, and enjoy life with him, or if they disobeyed God, then they would die. And what that meant 
Uh, they eventually obviously did disobey God, but what that meant is that they both died. Um, they would die eventually physically, but it also meant that they were removed from God's presence and that something had radically changed inside of them so that they were broken, and now they were sinners. And they, weren't, they hadn't just committed one sin, but now they were sinners, and every other human being who's been born has been born a sinner as well. And so then, uh, to, make, to make kind of a long story short, um, God showed up to another man named Noah and said, Noah, uh, the world has gotten really terrible. These sinners have just kept on sinning and sinning and sinning, and it's time for me to restart. And so God flooded the earth, but he saved Noah and his family. But then God made another covenant with Noah. And uh, this covenant was the promise that God would never flood the earth again. And so in a sense, this covenant with Noah, it uh, stabilized the earth so that God's plan could move forward. And the plan that we're talking about is a plan that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. God promised Adam and Eve after they had sinned that, they would, uh, that, that God would give them one of their descendants, one of their seeds, one of their sons, who would be a serpent crusher. He would be the one who uh, we've been reading uh, at night with Benjamin out of uh, a, a kid's storybook Bible by Kevin DeYoung. And he talks about all throughout, he gives Jesus uh, the title of the serpent crusher. And so there in Genesis 3.15, um, God makes this promise. And the covenant with Noah stabilizes the earth. And it's this moving forward, you might say, of the promise of this, this seed or this son who would be the Savior. And then we have Abraham. God shows up in the life of Abraham, and he promises Abraham amazing things, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And they enter into a unique relationship. God tells him that he's going to give him as many descendants as the sand under his feet and the stars in the sky. He tells him that he's going to give him a land, a promised land. And I think most importantly, he tells him that that one, the serpent crusher, uh, the son, the seed, would actually come from his line, would come from his family. And so then we are introduced to uh, Abraham's son Isaac, and then we're introduced to Isaac's son Jacob, who uh, receives the name Israel. And then Israel has 12 sons, and those 12 sons end up in Egypt. And after a few hundred years, God makes good, God comes to them to make good on his promise. He redeems them out of Egypt through the Passover, where God, after doing lots and lots of plagues, showing his might over the Egyptian gods and over Pharaoh, God sends the death angel to kill all the firstborn sons of anyone who didn't have the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. Uh, Israel is brought out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. They cross through the Red Sea on dry land, and everything seems great. It seems perfect. It seems like God is finally going to bring the descendants of Abraham, these millions of people uh, into the promised land that he had promised them. And so God enters into a, another covenant with them there uh, with Moses. But here's the sad thing, that that whole generation who came out of Egypt, uh, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb, did not get to go into the promised land because they broke God's law. They, in a way, were a lot like Adam and Eve when they sinned against God and they were kicked out of the garden, well, this generation sinned against God, and so they were not able to go into the promised land. And so where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy is that we are right on the cusp of the next generation entering the promised land. Moses is giving them a speech. He's preaching to them, you might say, based on the covenant that God had made with them uh, in, the, in the book of the Exodus. 
40 years earlier. And the idea is that uh, Moses is charging them, encouraging them to go in, to take possession of the land that God had promised. And so that's kind of the context leading up to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, The reason that we need to study it is because we learn about these covenants. And because we, too, have a covenant relationship with God, it's helpful for us to see the covenant relationships that God has had with people in the past so that it it helps us know what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. Uh, And so that's a lot of the context that we covered and where it kind of brought us right to the brink of actually diving into the text of the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's great. The... Uh, if you just look at all the covenants um, that God has uh, made with his people, you really just see how much he cares and loves for his people, that um, that God, yeah, does have a standard. He has um, this perfect uh, essence of himself that um, he can't be around sin, but uh, just through the people that he used and even through, our, through us now, um, we're sinful people that we move away from the Garden of Eden every day, that we're sinful and uh, wanting to chase our own desires. But uh, God has made these covenants uh, in the Old Testament, and then now we have the new covenant of Jesus, um, that we have eternal life, not based on anything from our own selves, but because of Christ's obedience uh, to God. So um, just all these covenants and uh, um, just a discussion on them really shows God's love for us and how he's... Uh, taking care of his people and that uh, he wants to have us in relationship and he's uh, direct those steps and um, kind of as the end of discussion happened today uh, we talked about typology so um, can you just discuss a little bit what typology is what it means for us today and um, how have we seen that uh, even through other scriptures in the Old Testament New Testament and um, just what it means for uh, our own study and our own understanding of who uh, God is. Yeah, so I, I will talk about typology, and I'll explain why it's important. Uh, but real quick, let me just back up and define a covenant, because then I think once I define a covenant, then typology will make sense. So um, a covenant is just a relationship between uh, two people that's uh, heightened because of either uh, stipulations or sanctions that come with curses or blessings or with promises or threats. And so uh, it's, it's kind of like a contract, except it's more serious than that. And in the biblical terminology, it's not like a contract because God comes and unilaterally makes this relationship with, with certain people. Uh, it's, God is allowed to do this. He's God. He's sovereign. And, and all the covenants that he makes are gracious. It's always God uh, giving man an opportunity to have a better life or to enjoy him in some unique and special way. And so these, the covenant is a relationship that God has with, with somebody or some group of people that is, um, that is serious and that it comes with certain promises and certain threats uh, with it. Now, the reason typology is important is because uh, we're going to be studying Deuteronomy, which is all about a covenant that we're actually not a part of. And so if we're going to be studying about a covenant that we're not a part of, we have to understand how does it relate to us? How does it connect to us? And that's what brings up typology. Uh, When I think of typology, it sounds like a big kind of word that maybe we don't use in everyday language. But a similar word that we do use in everyday language is prototype. You know, when you make a prototype of something, it's a smaller version of the thing that's going to be coming in the future. You know, so if you're going to build a building... 
you might make a little tiny model that you know has little fake grass and has little fake people walking around and it's it resembles that future thing that's going to come that future building project that's going to come um, even the little miniature people they they resemble the the people that are actually going to be walking around on the sidewalk uh, and so in that sense, it's a, it's a prototype, but it's not exactly the same thing. And that's how typology works. Uh, there's three key components with typology uh, as it pertains to the Bible. One is that there has to be correspondence or there has to be correlation between the two things. Uh, the second is that there needs to be escalation. So that needs to get the, the, the thing that's fulfilling the image, just like with the building project, um, there's escalation, right? The model is tiny and it's small. It's uh, there, there's correspondence, but it's but but the real building project is so much bigger and so much greater. And then a third key to typology is that the correspondence is other. And the illustration we use comes from Romans chapter five, where Paul uses Adam and Jesus as uh, an illustration for us to understand typology. So we see correspondence between Adam and Jesus. Maybe at first that seems odd, right? I mean, Adam's the one who plunged us all into sin, and so Jesus never sinned. How could they possibly have anything alike? But here's what Paul says. He says, hey, here's how they correlate. Here's how there's correspondence between Adam and between Jesus. Both Adam and Jesus represented a group of people. So when Adam sinned, his sin impacted a whole group of people. And in a, in a sense, not only did it impact, but he actually stood as a representative for a whole group of people. So that means all human beings who've ever lived, because we're descendants of Adam, when he sinned, we became culpable because he's our representative. Uh, when he sinned, it impacted us. And so here's the move that Paul makes. Paul says in the sa that, 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 that same thing that's true of Adam is also true of Jesus. That when Jesus is obedient, when Jesus dies for his people, um, he's doing that as a representative. He's doing it in their place. And so the one thing that he does impacts all the people who would come to place their faith in him. And so there's correspondence. There's clearly escalation between Adam and Jesus. And there's otherness. Adam and Jesus aren't the same person. And they're not even doing the same things. One was disobeying. The other one's obeying. Uh, one was... Uh, leading to condemnation, the other one leading, leads to righteousness. But that's how typology works. And so what we're going to see as we work through Deuteronomy is that the covenant that God made with Israel and through Moses has correspondence to the covenant that God makes with us through Jesus. So there's a, there's a lot of similarities. But what we're also going to see is that the covenant that we have through Jesus is better, it's greater, it's more important. Uh, one of the simple things we looked at tonight is that the covenant that God made through Moses with Israel was an earthly covenant. And so this promised land that they had been given, you know, that was an exciting thing for them to go in. I mean, who wouldn't want to go in and possess an awesome land with uh, land flowing with milk and honey and just have this awesome earthly experience? But the covenant that we have through Jesus gives us something so much better. Uh, we get the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. We get the promise of eternal life uh, with Jesus. And so then, therefore, we, we can see how the covenant that God had with Israel and the covenant that, that we have through Jesus are different. They're other. Uh, there's a lot of ways that they're different. One is that the covenant that God made with Israel was based on their obedience or disobedience. 
whereas our relationship that we have to God through Jesus is actually based on his obedience. That's why we put such an emphasis on faith. We put our trust in Jesus, and then he's the one who obeys in our place. And then, like I said, the other big, the other big key factor is that the covenant that God made with Israel was an earthly covenant. Uh, but the one that we have through Jesus is a spiritual covenant, and it leads to better and greater uh, promises. And so as we begin to read through Deuteronomy, what we're going to see is that a number of the narratives that Moses shares with us, we ought to interpret them through a typological lens. Again, don't be scared by that word. It's just a, a prototype. So the, the, the land, the promised land, represents heaven or uh, the covenant that, that God made with them represents our covenant. Or the one that we looked at in chapter 4 was how their redemption that they experienced out of Egypt represents our redemption out of sin and death and uh, hell itself. And so uh, we're seeing that we can read Deuteronomy as Christian scripture because while it is true history, while these things really did happen, God was also embedding typological significance, prototype significance in what he was doing with Israel, that the relationship he had with them was pointing forward to something more important, something greater, something better, something other that we get to experience in Jesus. And so um, I'm really excited about studying Deuteronomy. I think it's going to be awesome. But I think these two concepts of covenant and then typology are absolutely necessary for understanding this book. Uh, without these two key concepts, uh, Deuteronomy would just be a, a history book that wouldn't really have a whole lot of significance for our lives. But when we see that God was not only doing these things in the life of Israel, but the way it was written down for us, was intended to actually point forward to something in Jesus, then now we can read this as Christian scripture and embrace it for our lives as well. Yeah, so Morgan, you covered, um, I tried to cover uh, chapter 1 through 4, verses 43, and um, I would challenge anybody just to go through and read that again and just see um, the history of of humanity uh, of the world uh, that you also get to see, like you said, uh, the covenants and the typology roving throughout and just how uh, God has pieced every every bit of it together. And it's so perfect in the way that it works out. Um, and it's just really cool to be reminded of, um, of, of our faith and where it came from and how we got to where we are now. And uh, next week, you said we're going to be covering uh, 22 chapters, right? So that's right. Yeah, we're going to be <clears throat> so spoiler. I didn't even tell um, the people tonight, but basically what happens in the whole middle section of Deuteronomy is Moses reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And then he goes one by one and shows them how the Ten Commandments are supposed to play out in their life. And so that's why we're going to be able to cover a lot of ground next week. But we're going to see how what, what role the Ten Commandments played in that covenant and then we're going to turn and ask the question, what, what role do the Ten Commandments play in our lives? Yeah, that's cool. So if you want to read ahead, we'll be in the four, chapter 4, verse 44 through 26 um, as we look at that, or if you want to prepare for anything for next week. But um, I appreciate it again, Morgan, and all uh, that you shared today. And uh, is there anything else you want to close out with? No, I'm excited to, excited to dive in and, and just see more about how God has entered into relationship with sinners and uh, continues to love them and, and save them. 
All right. Well, thank you all for joining in, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time.